Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey everybody, welcome to the Running Light Ministries Podcast. We call it the Better Pleasure Podcast for June 23rd, 2017. And our guest is Nathan out in Pasadena, who we have known for uh, a while now, uh, quite a few years. And uh, the topic is going to be one of homosexuality. It kind of piggybacks on last week's podcast. I think you guys will find it very interesting as Nathan identifies himself as a gay Christian man. So we hope that you enjoy the podcast and really uh, get something out of it. And we hope that it is that you can dialogue and disagree and still uh, be friends, um, which is quite odd today for most people. Uh, Very difficult thing to do, but we hope that we can help out in what that looks like. So here you go. Better Pleasure Podcast. Enjoy. Why don't you tell a little bit about who you are, Nathan, and how me and you got to know one another, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, sweet. Okay. Um, so it's actually, I think, easier if I talk about how you and I met first. I met you in University of Arizona. Uh-huh. You, you came to speak at a large group for University Christian Fellowship. And then, like, as I started my questioning process, figuring out, Um, how I wanted to identify with my sexuality, with my gender, all of that. Um, You're one of the people in my life that I was really thankful for um, because you just wanted to have those conversations, right? Like, it wasn't scary. It wasn't going to be like, we're going to shame Nathan for every single thought that he had. Um, So it's just like you and I started talking. And then towards my junior, senior year, you kind of just like brought me along to different events as needed. When, when you needed a gay person. <laughs> uh, That's right. I actually had you had you uh, do a little uh, talk with me, like a Q&A, if I remember, with the, our college group. Mm-hmm. You did that. And I also came along to, um, I talked to some of your parents. Oh, that's right. Your church. And I also went along, um, you had this one thing with all the black churches in the area. Uh-huh. That I hopped along on. Yeah. Isn't, yeah. That, isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. And then I was in Peter's Purity Group um, senior year. <laughs> oh, senior year. I don't remember senior year. This is the <laughs> time. Uh, um, and yeah, and then I graduated U of A. I went to Stanford. I got my master's in math education and my teaching credential. And tried teaching, didn't like teaching. So as far as like who I am, that's very much in flux. But I am a Christian. I am gay. I am in a long-term committed monogamous relationship with another guy. His name is Thomas, so if I say Thomas, that's who he is. Right. Um, and it happens to live in Canada, so I'm awkwardly moving to northern Washington next month. So you you uh, see yourself as gay today. Back in the day, you kind of, I remember, were cr- kind of up and down with those things. You were kind of really going through a search and a, a wondering of yeah. where you were at. Yeah. Um, I know that um, I listened to the podcast on June 12th, June 16th, one of those, and you guys were talking about Q as being like questioning yeah and I was very much questioning during that time um I always thought also, Q, I always sorry. thought Q, I always as, I always thought Q I, is queer but it's Q uh, Q is questioning I was just supposed to talk about that um Q can be both um it's a much longer acronym much much longer 
Right. You've told me it before, and I remember I was just like, whoa, that's so crazy. That thing's gnarly. Yeah, it is. Um, it doesn't feel complicated to me anymore because, like, I've met everybody in it at this point. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. How do you think the uh, LGBTQ uh, community impacted your life when you were in college? It was – so I started um, with – in my sophomore year, with a desire to just understand the LGBT community. That was very, like, God-led, that I had prayed about a lot. Um, and so I started going to different Pride events and different LGBTQ affairs events. And, like, right away, it was just a learning experience, like, realizing how much ignorance I had um, mm-hmm. about just how people felt, how people saw things, right? Um, how people saw things outside of, like, being a binary and being comfortable between extremes. Um, and so... The, those spaces were the more safe for me than Christian spaces because there are things you can and cannot say in a Christian space that you can say outside of it. Um, in the same way, there are things about Christianity that I cannot say in those spaces um, that I can only say outside of it um, because they're triggering or because um, they're not understood. But yeah, so it was it was definitely a community that helped me learn a lot. And that was its primary goal, but it, and that I still have some friends from, um, nobody really close. Um, but moving past that, um, there have been better communities. Um, right now, I'm a member of the Gay Christian Network, which is a much better community um, mm-hmm. where everybody shares that faith and sexuality um, combination and works to understand each other on that level. Peter, um, do you, are you familiar with that community mm-hmm. at all? No, I've never. It, it, do they have a presence on the U of A? No, we don't have a... Um, presence at the other day. Um, I know one other person that has been to Tucson. I know a couple of people in Phoenix. Um, but yeah, it's pretty big. It's a couple thousand. Um, they have an annual conference, I ha- which I have not been to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have several online groups, and um, I connect a lot with people on Facebook. In fact, right before this, I was talking to people, and I'm like, yo, I'm about to be a guest on a podcast talking about <laughs> all these stuff. I know! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, is it is it is that uh, organization something that Matthew Vines is a part of? Oh, it's so interesting that you know that name. Yeah, uh, um, yeah Matthew Vines is a part of it. Zach and I are both in um, one group. It's a waiting until marriage group in the Gay Christian Network. Um, uh-huh. And he and I have crossed paths several times. Um, I'm a big fan of his work. Um, he and I have personal differences, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, he is definitely in that group along with um, Justin Lee Torn. Justin Lee was the head of GCN for a while. Um, I think. Don't quote me on that, but like, that's mm. what I've heard. Oh, okay. And G and GCN is Gay Christian, Christian Network. Okay, Gay Christian Network. I mean, is there is the is the popularity of of these organizations growing quite a bit? Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of, especially because with the ability to marry people, right? It gives us a lot more freedom to really push into those areas that we've been pushed out of. Because mm-hmm. of um, religion, right? When marriage is open, we then talk about what that meant in our context, right? Yeah. And it gave and it gave room for people to be a little bit more conservative, um, which that doesn't mean that all gay Christians are conservative. That's certainly not true. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of progressive by nature of our existence, but um, we those spaces have been getting more comfortable as the evangelical church has been growing in the acceptance of the LGBT community, um, and as um, social networks have just been developing. Yeah. Just to break people's 
boxes down that are listening to this, you weren't molested by some older gentleman when you were young? Not at all. Not at all. You... In fact, my parents are in a loving, committed relationship. Um, never seen them handle a conflict poorly. Um, everybody I knew growing up, same situation. Very stable household, very stable life. Your dad, though, maybe um, some people would say maybe your dad wasn't really a man kind of man. Maybe he maybe your mom. Are you more into your mom than your dad or? Um... Um, no, both parents are pretty strong parents, um, different ways. But my mom was a homemaker um, and homeschooled us. Dad is pretty manly. He does the carpentry and the building airplanes. And That's it. That. That's the answer. That's why you're the way you are. <laughs> oh, <'cause they're> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but um, you know the, the point, and I'm laughing about it. But the point that I'm making is that you know some people are always gonna listen to uh, a person who's gay, and they're always gonna be listening with that idea of like, <clears throat> that's it. You know? Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Oh, that's why you're the way you are. You um, know, something that happened very early in my coming out process um, with my parents that was unexpected. Because my dad said, you know, you must have been born this way because, like, we're great. <laughs> right? Like, there's nothing that we did. Um, at which I do want to point out that my parents are not affirming. And if I use the term for affirming and not affirming, that essentially means affirming believes that it's possible to have a committed gay relationship that is blessed by God. And affirming, non affirming means the opposite of that. That yeah. um, any context, gay is wrong, gay is sinful. So it's. Yeah, I know. And, you know, the beauty of agreeing to disagree is, you know, of course, you know my views. I mean, you know, I'm a yeah. pretty conservative Christian guy. So I would probably more in the unaffirming camp, you know, I guess if we were to categorize, you know, right. those things. Um, it certainly doesn't mean that I don't care for you as a person. Um, um, but I don't see biblically how homosexual marriage could be blessed. But there's a lot of things I disagree with a lot of people on, so it's not that I'm not friends with them. Or it's not... The way I described you to a friend um, when I was talking about this podcast is I'm like, both sees everything apart from God themselves as, like, sinful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's either God or, like, sin. And, like, those are the two extremes. So, like, because of that, you're pretty chill about everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly, um, it's hard for me to judge, overly judge, in the sense that, and I think Peter would agree with this, too, is that we both um, realize the effects of sin on our own life, especially in our own sexuality. Um, so we're kind of sensitive to that with our own personal lives. Um, so it's hard for us to just overtly judge someone and, and come off really hard on them um, because we certainly want to have mercy given to us, you know, um, right. with our... But, stuff. like, even within that statement, um, yeah. talking about, like, recognizing sin in your life, there's yeah. an assumption that you're portray that you're communicating, right? Mm -hmm. That it's sinful, right? That being gay is something that's sinful, right? Yeah. We're, like, acting on that. Like, that's what's being communicated in that process. And I, of course, agree that there are definitely aspects of who I am as a gay man that are sinful, mm -hmm. right? But at the same point, um, it's essentially how I love, right? It's not only who I choose to love and how I choose to love them. It's how I interact with women, how I interact with men, how I interact with God, how I interact with myself. And it's all of those different levels of how I love, right? So it's hard to just say categorically sinful, right? It's, you can recognize the sinful parts in it, 
that it's still part of who I am in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Peter, do you have anything to? Well, I mean, um, yeah, I, I think that that's a like what you said, Nathan. I think is really important, and I appreciate you saying it. You know, because I think that there, there would be in the because obviously, you know, from what we've said so far, we're obviously at odds at certain things. But I like how you put that, that it is, there are bigger issues to think about in how we relate to people and how we walk in love and how we talk to God and communicate with him. And uh, I, I like that idea. And I like, you know, focusing and thinking on that because obviously um, when you, when you talk about someone who would be straight, who wouldn't identify as gay, um, obviously me and Bo would agree that there's sinful aspects in the way that we deal with our sexuality inside of even a, a heterosexual framework. So that would be that'd be an important thing to understand. And, and obviously there's a lot of uh, bad stigmas within the church where it's obviously much easier for someone to uh, look down their nose at someone in a different lifestyle and say, because that lifestyle exists, as long as I'm not in it, I'm, I'm good, you know? Um, and that's obviously not what me and Bo believe. Can I ask a question just for the sake of definition? Yeah. You use the word lifestyle and you use it a lot in the other podcast. Could you just really quickly define what you mean by like lifestyle? Like what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, So what I would, and this is not, this is just how I would say it. (laughs) Um, Obviously, I don't know if Bo would agree with me. This is a Peter's definition. This is a Peterism. (laughs) 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 Well, how would I, I would describe a lifestyle is I would say it's something that you willfully do. Meaning it's something that you... Uh, it's not something that, like, um, let's say there's somebody who uh, who steals. I wouldn't categorize them as being in the klepto lifestyle as long as they don't want to be in it. But if they're just like, okay. yeah, this is this is who I am. I like doing it. I don't really care. Then I would then I would say, yeah, you probably you're probably in that lifestyle. You know, you're probably in the thief lifestyle. Um, so when I would move that over to sexuality. Um, you know, if I had somebody who said, you know, and, uh, even in the LGBTQ community, I'm sure that, uh, this would be recognized as well, uh, where somebody could be, um, you're not really considered in any one of those letters unless you willfully want to be in it. Right. Um, to an extent, I mean, there is a large population. You're talking about the gay Christian network. Most of us are side A, which means affirming. That's how I remember it. A is for affirming, right? Right. Um, but then we also have side B, which are people who are non-affirming gay Christians, right? Um, who have, who very much see it as you guys are seeing it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from my perspective, when I think of the gay lifestyle, I think of, like, the gay scene. I think of, like, partying, clubbing, grinder, all of that, right? Um, my lifestyle, right? I'm a suburban math teacher, right? <laughs> Living at home with folks, going my... All my friends are 30-year-olds from church with kids who I babysit, right? right? Um, when me and my boyfriend look at a life together, right, we imagine a suburban lifestyle very similar to how I grew up. Right. Um, of, like, one of us is going to be a stay-at-home parent, probably me. Yeah. And having jobs and then having kids and having something that's very, very conservative-looking. Right. Outside of the fact that I just chose to do it with a guy. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's, I'm glad that you brought. That, I'm glad that you made that distinction, because in my mind, uh, when I say gay lifestyle, it doesn't pop up partying and, and stuff like that, you know. So when I'm saying gay lifestyle, I'm just saying anyone who's in uh, a gay relationship, whether it be the more partying or the more conservative. 
but um you know i do recognize that there's a difference you know that there is a difference for sure <laughs> I'm just I'm just enjoying the conversation. <laughs> no, that's Sitting for back. Sure. So Nathan, how how do you reconcile, you know, kind of your world, um, we won't you know, just your life with you know, the Bible? Right. And I knew that question was gonna come up because it's used to, right? <laughs> yeah, well of course. <laughs> and you know, I mean it's gonna come up more in your life, right, as you you know, keep moving on in life, people at some point yeah. are going to ask you those questions. Um, you brought up Matthew Vines, and, like, honestly, there, I'm not a theologian, right? I mean, I have definitely had apologetic training. Um, I definitely have had conversations that, just going into this conversation, I'm going to admit that I'm not a theologian, which doesn't mean that my arguments are wrong. It just means that there are probably better people to argue them than me. But if we're talking... The one passage that I come back to, because um, mm -hmm. if we're being honest and we're looking at Matthew Vine's argument, just to pick one person, right? The one that I struggle with the most is looking at Romans. Okay. Um, which is the one where, you know, he gave them up to their sinful desires, and, right? Yeah. Um, and I honestly wrestled with that for a year. Um, I was a pianist at a church in Palo Alto, um, and I didn't hear a single sermon for a year because I just sat there with Romans, just trying to figure out what I was doing, right? And the conclusion that I've come to, which is not a perfect conclusion, right? I don't know this about me, but like I tend to solve things in emotions before I ever solve them in my head, um, is that the person pointed, pictured and painted in Romans is someone who's very much committed to strife and destroying the relationship with God and causing strife in the world. And um, that is against that vision that all of us have as Christians of getting the world closer to a place where it looks like heaven, right? Getting it to a place where it's a reconciliation, getting it to a place of things made new. It's the opposite of that, right? Um, and honestly, there are times when that is me. Right? There are times when that is all of us, right? Being causing strife, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we, our main conflict is a conflict between us and God and us and his creation, right? Um, that is the main conflict that all of us experience in our lives. It's why we have sin, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that is not my desire, right? I, what I, the conclusion I came to is that I want a heart that breaks for the things that, God heart, that God's heart breaks for. Mm -hmm. that I want the world to be like the kingdom that he imagines and that that is something that I daily commit myself to mm -hmm. um, and so I do see that passage and I do see myself in it but my goal is to not see myself in it by continuing to build my relationship with God mm -hmm. uh, and to continue like, working <clears throat> towards that so I view that one and I've come to view that one as more of a warning of like this is who you can be right this is who we can all be and to instead make a daily choice um which if you guys are big theology buffs is why a lot of um gay christians end up in unreformed churches or non-calvinist churches um because those are churches and theologies that highly um, value choice and daily choice um because they don't view salvation as something that is stable they view it as something that this isn't holistically across the entire churches but often they view it as something that you choose and you opt into 
at some level consistently. Right, right. And, uh, you know, I have listened to Matthew Vines a, a couple times, and uh, just, to, just to see if, like, if you would line up with him and uh, in, in what, what I've heard him say. Uh, I, I've heard him reference Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, and uh, from what I understand of what his point is, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's that when Paul was writing Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, what he had in mind was the paganistic type of man-boy love relationships that were happening in Greece and Rome at the time. That's what I've heard, but I'm not a historian. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but, but that's, that's kind of your view, though, right? That Paul's not talking that categorically any gay relationship is wrong. It's just when it's... when I drew up those passages. Um, in fact, like, like I mentioned, marriage is something so new for us. In fact, um, I read a lot of um, Dave and Tino, Modern Kinship. They um, often write for Papyrus. Um, I think it's David Kaloff and Tino something. <laughs> I'm awful. I'm mm-hmm. never doing. Probably also Kaloff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they frequently mention like how it's often the onus of our generation to figure out what it means to be married, what it means to do this well, what it means to be gay and Christian, and to figure it out. Um, and that's largely because we haven't been allowed in church. We haven't been allowed to be married, right? These are, Christian is a newer identity for us, for many of us in the community, um, or at least healthy Christian is. So um, talking about like what Paul had in mind, right? There was no concept of anything close to like what we are trying to establish back then, right? Monogamous relationships, right? Gay relationships in that context. Right, right. So you, you think that he's more just saying like, you know, stay away from the licentiousness of Greece. Right. And in his mind, um, categorically, he associated gay with licentiousness. Right, right. Because in those spaces, um, I mean, like you even talked about the Greek philosophers, right? And which of them didn't sleep with boys, right? That yeah. Those are documented throughout history. That was a tendency, and that is, I know, where Matthew um, goes to. Right. right. By the way, if, if our podcast listeners were hearing something crinkle up, it was Peter <laughs> crinkling <laughs> a, He's so strong, he's smashing his cans. Yeah. Yeah. It's a water bottle. Um, <laughs> there is a book for readers, or not readers, yeah, for people that are listening to, <laughs> uh, want to read. Um, Matthew Vines, God in the Gate Christian, is the book that's being referenced. Um, another one that I recommend for people trying to figure out where they are in their sexuality um, would be Justin Lee's Torn. And then for people who are just trying to figure out how to love the gay community better, um, I think the book is Love is Not an Orientation by Andrew Marin, which is how I started anything with the LGBT community, was reading that book. And that one is largely anecdotal that just helps you understand um, the gay community better. Hmm. You know, I was, w- I was wondering, thinking too, is like, you know, would you agree that, you know, loving the gay community doesn't necessarily mean agreeing with the gay community on everything? Yeah. Um, I like even taking you two as an example, right? With Bo, I, <laughs> with Bo, I'll come back to you in a second. <laughs> with Bo, I've only ever felt unloved by Bo once. And he doesn't even know this story. Um, right. But it was, it, I was really rude. 
No, it wasn't that you were rude. Um, you are really thoughtful. You have tried to love me holistically as a human being. You're open to all conversations. You're gentle in all of them. Um, but the only time when I felt unloved by you was you were on a panel that was for the um, group of black churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you were on a panel, and you were asked point blank um, whether you thought homosexuality was sinful. And you immediately said yes. And the yes wasn't the problem. I knew that that's where you were. The immediacy was the problem because it's such a complex issue. And at that time, um, I'm not even sure if I identified as gay yet or was public with that identity, but I knew so many people that were. And to have that be something that's so impossibly hard and impossibly difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Be quickly labeled as sinful almost like thoughtlessly, which I know it's not thoughtless because you think about everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't feel loving. Just because often a lot of compassion is listening and understanding. And when something happens too fast, you don't feel listened to. With Peter, I've often felt loved by Peter. <laughs> uh, no, Peter played a very, very important, you played a very, very important, I don't have to use you in the third person. <laughs> you played a very, very important part um, in my development, um, figuring out what purity meant. Um, that time talking at U of A with all the other guys um, was something that was really, really healing for me. Um, never have I ever been in a group of guys that had been so encouraging and so helpful, especially when um, I haven't been friends with a lot of guys in general. And you made that space safe, and you made that space um, very highly investigative. But a lot of the times, um, the hard thing in our relationship is whenever I sense what we call Bible bashing, right? It's like, let's dive into Corinthians. Let's say that you're wrong. Let's argue that you're wrong. Because you're not just arguing with my points and my viewpoints. You're arguing with my life, right? Which, like, I recognize that you guys do in ministry all the time right? But like right now in my life, this, my safest person is my boyfriend, right? Um, and we've worked on that. And that's one of the reasons why we're together, even though we're 2000 kilometers apart, is because we provide that safety for each other, right? So it's hard when that is attacked and feels like it's being dismantled. Yeah. I mean, how do you think uh, a person who doesn't see Matthew Vines's um, explanations as correct biblically, how do you think they are to express their beliefs in a loving way? Oh, man. Good question. Um, And I deal with that with my parents all the time, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I live with them. It's been a process, um, learning about each other. the one thing that I consistently come back to, and I come back to my own life, um, actually, I kind of want to start there first. I realized the other day um, that I had a lot of bigotry against atheists. Um, that the language, and that I recognize that because the language I was using, talking to an atheist, that I am unwilling to be wrong, you are wrong, come see this side, like this is how, like I read scripture, like this is valid. Right, scripture is valid, right? Um, that those were the exact same words used against me as a gay man. And I got to watch myself 
hurt someone, um, hurt someone deeply with those words. And I came to the conclusion that if I am talking with someone and they express that they are not feeling loved, if they express that in words, they express that in posture, they express that however, that as a Christian, it's my duty to change, not necessarily change my conviction, but change how I approach it, right? If you going up to someone, and I've had this frequently in my life, and you call them repulsive, you call them an abomination, right? And you say, I'm sorry, that's just how I'm going to see it, right? And what's that Bible passage where it's like you look in the mirror and you don't change? Like, come on, like you have to be more loving than that, right? I mean, it, if our goal is to be God's hands and feet on earth, right? And we need to make sure that our goal in that is to be loving and to be growing to a place where the other person feels loved. Right? People don't come back to people who they don't feel loved by. And I've lost churches for that reason. Um, I've lost friends. I haven't lost family members. I've been really, really fortunate. So that's common for people in the gay community. Mm-hmm. But it's loving well is something that's important. Right? Yeah. And I don't have a perfect answer. Um, kindness is always good. Um, inviting us in is always good the best things that churches have ever done is say, yes, we want you to work with children, right? Yes, we want you to you know, on um, worship. Yes, we want you here. Yes, we want you at our events. We will fight for you to be in those positions if otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but like, there reaches a point where I recognize that my expectations are unfair, right? In my conservative church, it is unfair of me to expect them to ever perform a marriage ceremony for me, right? Um, It's not unfair for me to do anything else in that space or to expect to be able to do anything else in that space because of my sexuality, right? It's in my personal life. It's unfair for me to expect my parents to celebrate at my wedding or even to come to my wedding um, because I would be challenging that expectation. But it's not unfair for me to expect emotional support to and to expect love from them because they are my parents right so when those expectations are violated it's hard um so you wouldn't see them not like attending your marriage as a an act of unloving um i would struggle with it um but i recognize that that's of course i would want them to be there but like also if that if and when that happens, right, with whoever that happens with, um, I want people there who are celebrating, right? I don't want to have to think about what people are thinking at table 14, right, which they probably would be at a higher number table, but, like, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, because, I mean, and the question that I ask I know is a tough one because I think we all feel the, the tension within that question, because mm-hmm. um, there's fundamental issues, obviously, um, that we disagree on, and there's, there's, you know, and they're rooted in theology. It's rooting in how we view God, um, how we feel God acted mm-hmm. um, in I, creating the world. <clears throat> I think, looking at your question, um, one of the most healing things that happened for me was after I came out, when you had me meet with parents from your church, yeah. who had children, sons that came out, who were my age, a little bit older, yep. right? 
Um, and I got to have conversations with parents that who were not my parents, right? And be frustrated in that, right? And they got to have conversations with a son who was not their son and be frustrated in that and express the grief at the brokenness in those relationships and express the confusion of how did this happen? Express the grief with the lack of communication, right? Yeah. Uh, and like, I think that's often where we have a tendency to go to is we get hurt, we immediately retreat because for the people that we love, um, we, expect, we have that greatest expectations for, right? For and of, right? Um, and like, so to speak to your question, when right now I'm talking to a gay guy who's younger than me, his first relationship, just told parents that he's dating someone. And like, I'm helping him walk through that in hindsight, right? Hindsight's 2020. And the best thing that I can recommend, if you have someone in your life who is gay or in the LGBTQ plus community, um, and you are struggling, that there needs to be some amount of communication, right? And like, it's not perfect. Um, I will message friends all the time and just say, I had a conversation with my mother and I was bad. I was bad, right? It's just like, I was not anywhere close to loving or wanting to reconcile. Or I would have conversations and I'll be like, you know, it wasn't, it was like rough but, like, it wasn't awful, right? And, like, sometimes it's pushing through a lot of that dissonance, right? Um, it's easy to love when loving is easy, right? Yeah, um, certainly. It's more important to love when loving is hard. Yeah, I want to switch gears if that's cool with you guys. <clears throat> that's cool. Thanks for answering that. Um, is there anything that's legitimately that you think would not, yeah, as a Christian and someone who, sees themselves as as homosexual is there anything that would be considered wrong um and why would it be considered wrong um by yourself so anything that would be considered wrong yeah like like you know like like because we like let me give you an for instance like from our perspective something is not is not biblically right you know and that would be considered homosexuality like, but from your perspective as, as a homosexual male and, you know, and, yeah, gay male. I identify as gay. I, don't, yeah. I identify as gay. I don't identify as homosexual. Okay, you identify as gay. Um, then is there, any, like, like, would you ever sit in our shoes talking to someone and saying, hey, you know, that's not right about their sexuality or, or like that, you know, or, you know, like, you know, is there anything that you would consider to be wrong with um, with anybody's sexuality? I personally know. Okay. Uh, I I don't know. Here's the thing. Because we're talking about marriage, right? Well, we were. And, yeah, and, no, we and, are. Yeah, and we, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask uh, marriage <laughs> later, but <laughs> but I was just thinking, like, in general, philosophically, you know, kind of, <clears throat> you know, just the foundational level. You know, is and yeah. abstract going abstract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, but I was just thinking, like, you know, there's got to be times where you're in our shoes too, where you're like, hey, no, that's fundamentally, biblically, even you know, theologically, that's just not right. Sure, um, I have a friend right now who recently quote, but I should not patronize. I should be kinder, and I'm working to be kinder. <laughs> um, but like, he told Facebook and the world that he is a channel for intergalactic beings. So he believes that there are times when this 
intergalactic being Virgil from the planet or like the constellation Sirius or whatever Sirius is comes and inhabits his body, right? And that he speaks truth through that, right? Wow. And like, yeah. I never even heard of that. Right? Yeah, um, man. Like, That's like, new. My first instinct was to mock, right? Yeah. My second instinct was to say demon alert, right? Okay. <laughs> and um, my next instinct was, you know, he needs mental help. Um, and my where I currently am is I am concerned for my friend. I recognize that me mocking is unhelpful and unloving. Um, I don't necessarily agree that an alien takes over his body. Um, but I recognize that he is trying to figure out truth one way or another. Um, so, like, taking that back to, like, sexuality, right? I am fiercely, fiercely monogamous. Fiercely monogamous. I am not interested if there is not monogamy. So I have trouble with people who are um, polysexual or in polyamorous relationships, right? Right. So they going are around. multiple people. Right. Right? Uh, and I have a problem with that on an emotional level. It emotionally makes me uneasy um, because it threatens something that I hold incredibly important, this idea of monogamy, right? But within that, I have to recognize that I am asking people to love me despite not understanding how I love, right? And honestly, guys, I don't understand how you guys love, right? Um, I don't have, like, the you, you response to straight people kissing anymore. I've gotten over that. But, like, I don't understand it, right? And it's so I try to extend that same privilege to people who I, I struggle to understand, like people who are polyamorous, right? I understand that I am expecting things that I am unwilling to give, right? And that that is unfair and that is hypocritical. So I extend as much grace and as much love as I can. And one thing that I've really been struggling with lately that goes back to my encounter with the atheist is that... Um, the goal is to have our love be perfected. And the goal eventually is no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend, right? Um, or for a friend, right? And what does that mean to lay down your life? Is your life bigger than your convictions, right? Is it ever appropriate to suspend your convictions, these things that you hold deeply, to love somebody better, right? Especially if we talk about like life in the eternal sense. Right or life in like your relationship with God sense. What did it mean for God for Jesus to suspend that, to lay down His life, His eternal life, all that it meant for Him to be God, right? For us, right? What did He have to lay down in that, right? So like when I'm talking about, um, do I see anything wrong uh, with sexuality and any further implications? Or, like, and trying to, you and I are trying to understand each other on that level. It's just, like, I try not to. It doesn't mean I'm not looking for areas of sin. It just means that I'm looking for areas to love well. And, like, that's the focus. Where do I need to challenge convictions? Because I'm asking people to challenge convictions on my part. So I should at least be able to challenge convictions um, to love them better. Does that make sense? Um, 
Does that Peter make sense? Nodding. Yeah, it, really, it makes sense. I'm, I kind of, I'm kind of just like still on the UFO guy. <laughs> <laughs> still trying to figure him out. Mm. No, I, uh, I, yeah, I really. That's uh, different, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, it is different from whatever. He's not a dumb guy. Started mm-hmm. a fraternity at um, U of A as a junior. Highly talented. Multiple books that are selling well. Yeah. Great public speaker. Really likable guy. Yeah. Good person. Like he's not like someone that like. I realize that mental health can strike anybody, but yeah. like he's not someone that you would necessarily target yeah. for that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I appreciate a lot of what you're saying, Nathan, because I I do think that there is a lack of this in particularly the the Christian community, and I do. Um, it is something that I, I wish that Christians could do better, and it's something I wish I could do better because I relate to what you're saying about you know taking somebody and just looking at them. Uh, looking at what they're saying and thinking about how to tear it down. Uh, you know, I struggle with that a lot. Um, but I, I, from what I'm hearing you say is that, like, a really important uh, fundamental point is, like, understanding. You know, like, understanding without uh, necessarily condemning or condoning something, but just understanding it from someone's perspective uh, so that you can better, um, you know, look at things from their point of view and then talk to them about it. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, from what you're saying right now, I feel like this is something that God's having you on right now is trying to learn understanding a lot. Uh, we, we right. say it's correct. What does yeah. it mean to love better? Yeah. Right. What does it mean to love better? What does it mean to understand better? And that's something that obviously, you know, Jesus was perfect at, you know, cause he automatically understood where everyone was coming from immediately. Like he knew where, what was going on. He knew it was happening and he was able to communicate with them on that level every single time. Um, but one thing that I would, I would like to ask you just to kind of see, um, if you feel like God would move you in this direction too, because, um, I tend to, to appreciate talking to, um, like one of my friends right now, he invited me to Iftar. He's a imam at the local mosque and I like talking to him and I like, and we have great conversations and we love challenging each other. Um, but do you ever feel like there's a point where understanding needs to stop and there's a time to challenge somebody? Um, I mean, yeah, I do do that. Um, I call unhealthy frequently in my friends' relationships, right? And, like, this is unhealthy. Like, it's obviously affecting you negatively, right. physically affecting you negatively, spiritually affecting you negatively, right? I had that recently, um, deciding whether or not... I, at the church I tend to, I have this beautiful pocket of affirming Christians. Um, that are allies all to varying degrees. One of them is the best ally I've ever met. Some of them are still like baby allies trying to figure out like what is this gay thing? It's like so you're going up to Canada to visit your partner and like boyfriend, right? And that for some reason partners are more comfortable words than boyfriend. <laughs> so like that makes me panic inside. Um, not there yet. Um, but your question was about challenging things, right? Yeah. I made the decision to no longer go to sermons, to go into the worship service, um, to step foot into there, despite the fact that I've sat down with the pastor, wonderful person, very much trying to get um, that space to be a welcoming space for LGBT people. Um, but it's very triggering for me. I go into that space and I think of being closeted at Palo Alto and I think of all the times someone has said repulsive and all the times someone has said abomination and all the times that people have looked away when I've been holding hands with the boyfriend and all the times that people have brought up Corinthians and Romans and arguments 
and I go in there and I freeze. Um, in fact, there was one day and they were talking about grace, and if anybody, and they said if anybody needs grace, take it. And I shouted from the balcony, but you guys aren't the ones giving grace. Went out, slammed doors, was as dramatic as I can be, because that's my strength is being dramatic. And left and couldn't be in there anymore because it felt so unfair and it felt so unsafe. So I made the decision to stop going to church, right? Um, so that was my friend's challenge, and they were right to do so. Um, they're like, so what does this mean? What does this mean for your spiritual walk with Jesus? Like, how are you going to do this and be healthy, right? You saying I'm done and giving up isn't healthy. You recognize that you being me, recognize that um, it's important for you to have this in your life, that it's important that you thrive around hope, that you cry every Sunday at Advent just because, like, the hope is getting to you, and that you need more than this, right? And so, like, places to challenge of the decision you are making right now isn't just going to lead you to a place of unhealthiness, a place further away from the kingdom. It's a place that is both indicative of your distance away from the kingdom and is going to worsen that immediately, right? Um, and I deserve to be challenged. I'm still not at that church, but there are still ways that I have made sure that my prayer life has continued, that I'm giving myself space to heal, because right now I wouldn't even go into an affirming church. The Bible is triggering. Mm. Sometimes um, coming back to Christian things feels like I'm an addict. Mm. Um, Getting, an, getting a high when I shouldn't supposed to be. Um, shouldn't supposed to be. Shouldn't, shouldn't be. <laughs> no, yeah. and, 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 I, and I can relate to that. I mean, as you're talking, like, and, and this is why I've always appreciated our talks, Nathan, is we just, there's so much that we can relate with um, right. just as human beings in a Christian culture. <clears throat> but sometimes I want to not be a part of... Um, church in my mind even though i've been an assistant pastor for so many years now over 20 years um evangelical you know uh, just the whole thing but because you know my issues with pornography have been so dominant in my life for such a period of time and there's been always such a negative vibe when it comes to people discussing those topics Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt, uh, I've always felt a bit of non-compassion in those areas, um, from the top down, um, that you can, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm saying I can really empathize with that idea of s even, even today in my life, sometimes when I go into our group to either teach it or just to listen to Peter teach it or another facilitator teach it. And I'm just there as a, as a person, you know? Um, sometimes I can be a little reluctant to to want to. I, and I find that what is in me that's reluctant is that there's almost, I want, I, I, there's this constant overhang of like, is there going to be a negativity? Is there going to be a non-compassion? Is there going to be some kind of lack of understanding? Of, is there going to be rejection? Right? Is there going to be rejection? And I have to, in my mind, sometimes have to go, you know, I have to ask God, you know, you know, is there a conviction that I need to hear? Um, and that, that is a, that is one of those things that just as an inner, as a person, I have to, um, and I'm not going to ask you about that, but just, I'm just letting you into my world a little bit, but, um, you know, I have to ask myself like, God, am I, am I afraid of conviction? Am I afraid of man? 
or am I afraid of what your word says about it? Um, and I find that those things become really challenging questions for me um, because there's a part of me that's just in, in fear of mankind and how man is approaching this. Um, or maybe it's uh, disgust too. I just don't want to be around people that are constantly ridiculing people that struggle with visual, you know, pictures when they don't want to deal with their own pride or other things like that. Um, but then I have to go, God, you know, but is there a conviction that you want to bring to me? Is there things that you want to say to me that I don't want to hear, but I think I should listen to and I need to? And anyway, I just bring that up because it's, um, I can relate to that. Right. But like at the same time, like I, for me to go into a church and there are people in church, it's for me to literally go in and love the oppressor, right? Like they aren't throwing actual stones. It's not Stephen being stoned and preaching to those people. But like sometimes that's what it feels like, right? I have our church lets you come up to the altar to pray during service and I can't that because I can't afford to look like I'm repenting of my sexuality or and in the same church where I have my best ally I have people who I, I have seen commit very homophobic acts very unsafe acts against children against youth um, that is not okay and that's triggering right I don't just go into church and feel convicted which I do feel convicted when I go into church often about my lack of giving um, but I go in and I feel unsafe because I have been kicked out of churches, mm. right? And I've been kicked out of Christians' lives. So, like, I do understand, like, where you're coming from. But, like, the hardest thing about being a gay Christian is that the main source of oppression for gay people comes from religious settings. Mm. Um, in other countries, that's the death penalty. But here, it's just ostracization, right? We are kicked out. We are pushed to the side. We are marginalized and we are not seen. You guys know I'm an incredibly talented man, right? In the course of this conversation, it's come up that I've been to Stanford, right? It's come up that I have several people in my life that I communicate with. Um, hopefully it's come up that I'm articulate, which doesn't always come up. But like, I am not short on talent, right? And in the church, since coming out, I, none of those have been taken advantage of, right? I do get... I do get to do wonderful things like this where I get to talk about the intersection of faith and sexuality, and I get to use some of those tools, both intellectual and otherwise, right? But everything else is a fight, where before it was an invitation, mm -hmm. right? I'm, it's, I don't know. I, I'm struggling at this point in my life, and I am feeling convicted in that, of my compassion for the church. But like, it's also been, what, three years now since being out, and it's been just a rough three years. And I've seen people in my life get kicked out of churches, get kicked out of jobs, get kicked out of relationships, get kicked out of schools because of, because of their sexuality and because of Christians saying, this is wrong and we can't have you here and have you be gay and have you be dating and have you have that identity to join that lifestyle, right? Yeah. What would be ideal for you, Nate? What would be an ideal, I mean, you're, I mean, let's face it, the culture is, um, you know, the Christian culture and the secular culture is trying to figure out this whole thing. Um, yeah. You know, and it, it's kind of, you know, the whole United States is in this like weird flux, right? Yeah. Where um, you got, you got 
gay marriage that's rev- relatively new. Um, you know, the church is trying to figure out how this works. Um, you know, what is ideal for you? Um, yeah, I'm going to speak to both the non-affirming and the affirming church together. The church universal, right? Yeah. Um, that has basically created a schism over this issue, right? That we even see them as non-affirming and affirming, right? That people go into church and, like, we can't stay here because they believe in gay marriage and we don't, right? And that that has become a main issue for the church, right? Um, one of my favorite sayings that I say it's Nathanism is that often black and white and black and white questions have gray answers, right? And, like, it is as detrimental to be divided as it is to be, um, like, ostracizing people. Meaning that, like, even in an affirming church, often when I go to affirming church, I feel like I've failed being in a non-affirming church, and that is my only choice, right? Or that I have to choose between these two things, right? Um, That it's my sexuality or God, and not my sexuality and God, right? And that those are my options, and that it's a choice. And the problem is, is that that choice presented to someone who's gay, it's either take this identity that you can choose into, right? This identity as a Christian, right? Which, like, Jesus don't want you if you don't got the free will to say, yes, I want you, right? Or you choose your sexuality, which debatably you're born with, right? Um, That's something deeper that has been affecting your relationships with people since you were tiny, right? Um, because, like, given the choice between something that you can't, an identity you can't change, an identity that you can change, it's so much easier to give up the identity that you can change, right? Which often is being a Christian, right? So making this, so church is making it a decision, or making it a choice between we are going to be affirming or non-affirming, and not creating a body of people that are both, right? That dissent, that disagree, and but that at their core recognize that this is a population that they've wronged and that they need in the church, that's a problem, right? It needs to be a more unified church around the idea that it's okay to have anybody, right? Not necessarily regardless of their sin, but just anybody, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm I'm processing it. How about you, Peter? I mean, there's some good stuff in there. It's like, like, look at this space, right, in this podcast, right? Um, there's you and there's me. And then uh, both of us are really good about having these conversations, right? We've been having them for a while. So from the beginning, we were open-minded about um, that we might disagree by the end, right? Sure. And, uh, the intent has been to love each other well throughout that entire process um, and to figure out what that means, right? To be kind, to show up when we need each other, right? Yeah, Largely, absolutely. I need you because I go into crisis frequently. Um, but figuring that out, right? It's not an impossible space to create, but it's a a space that starts from, like, recognizing that there are going to be differences, and at its core, welcoming me me into things, right? Um, You, Bo, have welcomed me into more in my interactions with you, my brief interactions since I've been graduated two years ago, than um, most churches have in years of being at that church, Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And it's all about, and Peter said it earlier, it's about under, trying to get that understanding and then building that up, right? 
Because, like, I honestly don't know what happens in Peter's mind. I know that there are Bible verses and that he wants to go on. It's all just theology yeah, in this guy. That's it. <laughs> right. No. But, but, like, I, I recognize Peter as someone that I have at times struggled to get along with. But the times when Peter and I have been operating at our healthiest, right, mm-hmm. have been times in the purity group where we are, we are just able to share, try to understand the other, and see how, selfishly, I'll see how we could... Um, <laughs> benefit from that and help each other in that right and like that's that's where the church needs to get to right it needs to stop being camps of yes or no and it needs to start being camps of one day we will be in a kingdom where relationships don't end and we need to understand what it's like to have to build relationships that can last that long Hmm. right yeah no, I really liked, uh, you know, in your in your talk, what kind of struck me, and I look forward to li- re-listening to the podcast to get to get more out of it, um, was the idea of identity. I think you were discussing, you know, the identity um, issue that um, that it's tougher. You were saying to um, change an identity that you feel is is a part of you from the the get go, from the time you're, you know, a kid and growing up than the christian identity which is easier to just throw off you can you can throw off that one and change your identity to something different right um and when a church a non-affirming church you're saying is attacking the the identity uh, then it's easy for someone like yourself or anybody that feels in conflict to um to you know throw off that that belief yeah, it is. You know, uh-huh. it's easy, and I think that's, I think the reason why it impacted me is because I don't, I, I think that's a pretty deep and a pretty, um, uh, uh, I think that's probably pretty accurate. Um, that yeah, if, if you it's don't, it's one that's deeply felt. That's an idea that's deeply felt because, like, it's actually very like non-threatening for you guys to say um, if you're going to be in this church, like we we're okay with you, like as long as you're single, right? In fact, I don't have churches, I don't have problems inside of churches when I'm not dating someone. But as soon as I get into a relationship, right, the church at that point is then threatening my relationship, right? They're saying, when you come in, you give that up, right? So when a married couple walks into church, and they, a gay married couple, right, and the church says, this is wrong, they are asking for a divorce, right? They are asking for something that everybody agrees is sinful, right? and that breaking of the relationship between two people, right, who love each other, right? So, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and at the core of what you're saying, of course, is that idea of that definition of marriage, right? Not every church is looking at a gay marriage as marriage. Right. Right? I mean, those kind of things. Uh, Every church is recognizing that love is love. Yeah, 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 but uh, yeah, and I think even that we could probably, I mean, we could probably talk about, but, but because we don't want to go forever, um, I do, I do, want, no, no problem, because um, me and Peter can, that's the problem, and I know <laughs> you probably can too. Um, um, so, you know, is, is what you see, like, um, in the society right now, um, I mean, you're on the cusp of so many things. I mean, you're, um, you know, you know, 
along with Matthew Vines and guys like that, and the other guy, gentleman you you mentioned, who, um, you know, it, you know, do you feel like you guys are on just like uh, this kind of not a crusade, but just so much of a quest of newness and, um, you know, really changing things in the United States. Oh yeah, I think I think we definitely are, and like definitely from different perspectives. And that's where Matthew Vines and I disagree. Is but it's also because we have very different personalities. If he tries to meet people on that intellectual level, which like honestly for many people is important, right? Um, I can definitely operate at that intellectual level, but all of my changes in my life have come from an emotional level, right? So sometimes I'm even unfair. I'll say things that are intentionally heartbreaking um, to try to get people to understand where I'm coming from, but often I just want them to have compassion, right? Because I desperately want compassion. Right. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I heard what you said in the beginning and I think it, it was really powerful because whether we want to admit it or not, I think what you're saying is universally true when you say that I, I tend to think of things emotionally and then intellectually, um, right. no matter how intellectual people see themselves. What I found in my conversations with them is that that's just that's true across the board of right. the reason. I mean, you know, even talking to people of different faiths, you know, uh, LDS people or, or Muslim people, it's like I could I could show them uh, all the evidence in the world, but because they've emotionally made up their mind, evidence won't convince them. Or, you know, at camp, I, I had a pleasure of talking to a flat earth. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but no, yeah, no. yeah. When I was at high school, I I guess it's gaining ground. It <laughs> is. It is crazy it's gaining to me. a lot of ground. Which I I was blown away. Yeah, I thought it was like a weird conspiracy theory thing. And this dude's like, "Yo, like, what do you think of the flat Earth?" And I like made fun. Like, I just totally thrashed it. And then he's like, "I believe that." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, man." But you know, like, but clearly, it's like for that dude. And for me, it's actually not a matter of, in it, uh, of evidence. We'd like to say it is, but it actually is deep down in my heart. Uh, th- there's, um, there's like an emotional connection to what I believe and emotion will always override logic. You know, it'd be like, um, you know, telling someone who's afraid to like a little kid afraid to ride uh, a roller coaster ride just to look at them and be like, well, you won't die. You know, just me saying that is not going to override his fear. You know, the right. emotion's always going to be very, it's going to be much stronger than, than what he's going to actually uh, be thinking in the moment, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I, I guess if I were to ask you a question, do you think that that's a, that that's a positive, though, in humanity, that we do that? That we, like, kind of lead with our emotions? Yeah. Um. I don't know. I think it can be, right? Um, I. It depends on how emotionally healthy people are, mm. right? Um, I'll go. I'll end this podcast, and then I'll go and I'll talk and I'll debrief it with people, um, and I'll sort through any emotions that came up, right? And then I'm open to like looking at those changing. Why did I get upset at that moment? Why did I get so passionate at that moment? Why did I get emotional at that moment? Um, trying to figure out and that's like an emotional awareness that i've worked on for a long time right mm-hmm. for people that lead with their emotions and then like internalize they don't talk about it that grow in their bitterness their resentment their rage um their depression right whatever extreme that you get when you start building up emotions right 
um, it's not healthy to do that, right? How many, how many times have we talked to Christians or non-Christians and we looked at them and we said, your issue right now is so much deeper, right? That's not just your ignoring a conviction, that you are so entrenched in what you're feeling right now or you're so entrenched in those emotions that you're not willing to like reach that higher level, right? So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a really, really useful thing mm. um, as long as you're emotionally aware. But that's like... That's a plug for mental health, and that's a plug for it. Everybody should be counseling. Everybody should be <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's a bad thing, right? It's part of how we're made in the image of God, right? Yeah. We're made in the image of a very emotional God, mm. right? Um, who is perfect in those emotions, yeah. right? And who does express extremes as needed, mm. right? Um, but definitely doesn't keep them to himself, def- and definitely lets people interact with him, right? Yeah. People arguing with God, interceding. Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Saying, like, God, like, take a look. Like, evoking God's character, right? And, like, that same process of, like, looking at who we are, looking at our character, looking at our emotions, right? It's something that is incredibly healthy. Mm. In fact, if you are listening and you are something that's questioning, like, looking at your emotional health, looking at your mental health, um, incredibly important. Um, do that in the entire process. I've seen so many people who just get to the end of the questioning process, decide on something, and then get stuck being broken in that. Um, and you don't have to be a broken gay person. You also don't have to be a broken Christian, right? I have hope and a desire for reconciliation, right? Which is why I'm talking with you guys to begin with, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a Christian who's listening, right, you don't have to be stuck in your emotions anymore um, without even, like, changing your thoughts, right? Bo disagrees with me. Right? Bo is non-affirming, but he's not stuck in his emotions. Right? He's willing to access those parts that says, I want to love Nathan better and I want to be kinder. Hmm. Right? Amen, brother. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. No. Uh, no, absolutely. It's good good stuff, man. I always enjoy chatting with you, Nate. And, um, That's what you say. <laughs> what? That's what you say. I know, <laughs> I do. I just, you know, and there's so many things we could talk about more, but... You know, I think in a podcast like this, it's great for people just to hear us chat for an hour and and chew on it a little bit. Yeah, and understand kind of just how we dialogue. That's really my heart too, is just to help people understand how to dialogue because a lot of people don't, Nathan. A lot, a lot of people can't just sit here and talk and and and, you know and not argue about everything. Like you bring up love, and I'm not. You know, I'm not going to sit there and go, well, what is love, Nathan? Okay, let's go through it. You know what I mean? And argue about love or you bring up a subject and we just argue about every single subject. Um, right. Is just to realize that we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, it takes years and years of, you know, my relationship with my dad and my mom to understand them and know them well. <laughs> I mean, that's how it is with just people. So, um, you know, I hope people can listen to this podcast and be able to go, you know, Absolutely you know, hey, you know, maybe I can work on this dialogue, you know, better and yeah. uh, that kind of thing. One of the good grounding things for me, this will be my last thought, I promise. <laughs> but one of the good grounding things for me that was told to me recently is that um, the question was asked, like, does Jesus take sides, right? And the easy answer is to say no, right? He doesn't take sides, right? Um, the harder answer, but the answer that I've been struggling with, whether or not it's right, is that he always takes the side of the oppressed, right? Always the oppressed, right? Which is kind of where I've been 
trying to center myself in all of these discussions, especially because, like, I'm still a white presenting male. There are so many discussions that I have with other people where I feel inadequate, right? That when I'm thinking about Jesus, always the oppressed, right? Good stuff, brother. Okay, well, we'll let you go. Okay. Bye, guys. Hey, dude. Thank Later. you. Good chatting with you, Nathan. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.